when I found my identity in Christ, I found forgiveness, I found love, I found acceptance, you know, I just knew that I could let all those things go that I had done, you know, that those were bought for me on the cross and that I didn't have to live in that shame anymore of the things that I had done. Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share stories of hope found in Jesus. I'm Robin, and I'm here with Lindy and Katie, and we are your podcast hosts. And not only that, (laughs) this is the last episode of season six. It's crazy. Y'all, how do we get here? Why does time go so fast? It does. This is our last brand new story. We're not going anywhere this summer, but it is our last brand new story for the summer. And that starting next week, for the next few weeks, we'll have favorite reposts. And Katie came up with a great idea. You know, it was funny. We're coming up on season seven, which I cannot believe this fall will launch season seven. And so since we were taking a break for six weeks and doing reposts, I thought, why not put a story from each season on each week during our summer break? And so you're going to hear some stories that are from way back. It's so exciting. It is so exciting. You know, last summer, we called them hidden gems. And I do feel like a lot of these stories are just hidden gems that maybe, you know, haven't been listened to because we have so many new listeners that have joined us over the years. So I'm so excited for those stories uh, to be heard again and listened to and that you can find out more about God's character and his love through those. And also, you want to make sure that you are a Patreon insider. So many of you have been asking for stories about grief. And we are are so excited that Amy Grody, who oversees Patreon for Storytellers, is going to do a three-part video series on grief. And all of you will want to be a Patreon insider this summer because so many people have asked for stories about how to navigate grief. And Amy Grody, if you'll remember her from episode 20, shares a three-part series on navigating grief. And that actually is going to drop this Friday, the first in the series. Absolutely. I'm thrilled for Amy to be able to just give us some wisdom Um, She is so precious in, you know, what she has walked through navigating grief. And just when I asked her to do this series, she thought that it was just a fabulous idea because so many people approach her privately and ask Mm -hmm. her, how did you get through losing your child and just the hope that she brings as well. So I can't wait for our Patreon insiders to hear that. And then also this summer, we're, we're still bringing you brand new content with stories within the story and bonus stories and lots of other things. So please think about becoming a Patreon insider. You can simply scroll down in our show notes or go to our website at storytellerslive.org. Now tell us about Jessica. Yes. So today, the final story of season six is Jessica Stovall from our Oxford, Mississippi gathering. And you know, she is, she's adorable. She is a part of their team in Oxford. And so at their very first gathering, I got to meet their team and she is so, first of all, she's funny. She's so full of life, so bubbly. And when she told me her story, then I was stunned. Mm -hmm. I was so shocked. I could not, but I was like, wait, I can't even put two and two together of your past Mm -hmm. to who you are now. And so I can't wait for y'all to hear it. You saying that is just really a story of just the transformation that's taken place in her heart. I love that. Yeah, Jessica's story is really about her overcoming addiction, uh, walking through the recovery process and kind of where God has led her today. But I really think her story is all about finding her identity in Christ and as a daughter of the King. So we thought it was a great story to end season six with and just a story to bring you, as we always say, the hope found in Jesus. So here is Jessica. 
Well, my name is Jessica, and most of you I know. There's a couple of y'all I don't know. And something that's really cool or that stands out to me right now is that, you know, there's people here from a couple different walks of my life. There's people from church, from my small group. There's people from my small group a long time ago. There's people I work out with. You know, there's my new friends. And what sticks out to me the most is like, even though y'all all know me, you don't know each other, but you all get the same Jessica. And so that's something that's that's really cool. Uh, I'm a crier, so I will probably cry because it's just overwhelming sometimes to talk about what the Lord has done in my life. You know, as I was praying and preparing for this, you know, sometimes God is just a God of few words. <laughs> and so the only thing I got, I'm like, you know, God, what is the story that you want me to tell? I feel like I have just several different avenues of I'm a person in long-term recovery. Um, I've been married to a wonderful man named Mark for over 12 years. Um, I'm a mom to four kids, 10, 7, 4, and 18 months. Um, and so there's just so many different stories that I could tell. And I have been bought by the blood of Jesus. And so the Lord, the message that I kept getting was to talk about my identity in Christ. That's what I'm going to talk about tonight. So my first, you know, kind of the first time that I asked the Lord to come into my heart, I was probably about 10. And I was in my room by myself. I'm not kidding. This was probably circa 1998. And Joel Olstein was on and he was, you know, preaching a message. <laughs> and I just remember standing, you know, on the top of my bed and just reaching my fingers up to the ceiling and just not really understanding what a relationship was in Christ, but knowing that I wanted what this man on TV was talking about. You know, I wanted to have a father and to be loved and you know, and so again, so that's when I asked Jesus to first come in my heart. And after that, there was really, uh, you know, there was nothing that kind of cultivated that. We didn't go to church a lot growing up. And, um, you know, I was raised by a single mom that was working, you know, working super hard to provide for me and my brother. And again, I played soccer. I was a cheerleader. I did all the things, um, had just super fun childhood. Uh, and then the next time I asked the, the Lord to come in my heart was at church camp when I was 12. And, um, and again, I meant at that time too. And, but again, there was nothing to really cultivate. I didn't understand. Like I thought once you asked the Lord into your heart, like that was it, you know, like it was just going to be some magical thing. And so I just didn't really understand what it meant to have a relationship with the Lord. You know, and on the way back from church camp, we were playing Truth or Dare in the back of the bus. So obviously I missed something. Um, <laughs> so then when I was 13, I was first introduced to drugs and alcohol. I was very interested in that, um, in, into that type of scene. You know, the movies made it look so fun. It just looked like this free lifestyle. Everybody was always having a good time. And so that was very appealing to me. So I started experimenting and, and that was a like preteen. It's like you kind of, kindly fit, you know, kind of figure out like, okay, I can make my own choices now. Like, yes, my mother can tell me what to do, but like I am this person and I have free will. I have free choice. Learning that I have free choices, you know, I did not make very good choices when I was 13, 14, and 15 years old. And so by the time I was 15, I was fully addicted to drugs and alcohol and didn't really understand 
why I could not stop using. Didn't understand why the people I partied with were still going to school. And I was like skipping school and running away and doing all these crazy things and, um, you know, hurting my family. And I didn't know how to stop. And my identity at that time was, you know, I can remember looking at somebody that I was hanging out with and I was like, I think I'm a, I think I'm a drug addict. Like, I don't really understand what that means, but I think that's what I am. And, and to go back to really what triggered that was in ninth grade, I did not make JV cheerleader and I was crushed because again, so much of my identity into who I was and I thought I was important. I thought that made me important and that made me lovable and that made me accepted to be a cheerleader, to be a soccer player, to be those things. You know, I didn't know what an identity in Christ looked like then. I kind of got lost in the drug and alcohol world and I started going to treatment by the time I was 15. By the time I was 18, I had already been in and out of jail and gone to treatment five times. And so you can imagine the harm that I caused the people around me, the people that loved me the most. There was lots of harm. So uh, my addiction had gotten really bad. And, you know, I was brought up with, you know, morals and values. And, you know, it's like the longer I used, the more all of that kind of went out the window. And it was kind of just like, you know, I didn't really care. And then I had so much shame and guilt. So it's like you have to use more to cover up that shame and guilt. So yeah, so I did not, was not making good choices. And when I turned 18, I was like, yes, I'm 18. I can do what I want to now. Got arrested two weeks later. <laughs> and I go to big girl jail when you turn 18. You don't go to the little girl jail anymore. And I uh, spent some time in the big girl jail. And I was there for six weeks. And the judge that put me in there came to visit me. He brought me a Bible. And he literally took the time out of his day to to come visit me and to share the gospel with me. And I didn't really under again, I didn't really understand because when I was sitting in the uh, sitting back in the pod with all the other women, just so hopeless and so lost and really not understanding how I ended up where I did. And, um, you know, I believed with every fiber of myself that I was either going to die or end up in prison by the time I was 25. And I can remember sitting on those stools and, you know, telling those ladies, well, I better get used to this. Like, this is what my life is, you know, you know, for those of, for those of y'all that have people in your life that struggle with addiction, like I wanted to quit so bad, you know, I wanted to quit. And I said so many times and I was so tired of hurting my family, but I just didn't know how. I didn't know how. So the judge came and shared the gospel with me, and he allowed me to go to treatment again. And again, my mindset at this time was, this is just going to be another treatment. I'm just going to get out and do the same thing that I've always done. Um, and my on my way to this treatment, I can remember my mom saying, um, I can't do this with you anymore. And she was like the only one of my family that was still talking to me. So she just said, I can't do this with you anymore. And she had never really said anything like that to me before. And for some reason, I believed her when she said it. And so I'm in this treatment center and I'm pretending, right, that I'm I'm going to follow all the rules because if I didn't finish successfully, I had to go finish out the rest of my jail sentence. So I was going to 
mind my P's and Q's and follow all the rules. And I had learned what to say at this point to make all the nice people leave me alone. And, um, about halfway through that treatment center, um, one of the things you're not supposed to do is to call the people that you used, you know, used with. And so that's what I did. I'm like, let me just see if they miss me. You know, let me see what they've been doing. And so I called, you know, these people, they were doing the same thing they were doing months ago. They were all sitting around getting high. And I just closed my eyes and I pictured myself back in that place. You know, the the mattress on the floor without sheets, the TV stacked on top of the TV, the beer cans everywhere, the, you know, just a mess. And I remember hanging up that phone and I just, I said, God, I don't want to go back to that, but I don't know how. And I, it was just the very, the most simplest prayer. Like, I don't want to go back to that. Uh, and then a couple days later, like I had gotten tired of pretending. So I started sleeping in group therapy and, you know, the therapists don't like that too much when they're trying to teach you something. They don't like for you to be sleeping. So I remember getting called out for that. And, you know, my therapist made me write a page on something out of the AA big book. And it was just after that phone call, and getting called out for sleeping in group. And I honestly think that's when the Lord was like, okay, it's time, you know, because my ears started hearing things that I'm sure they probably told me in the first four treatment centers. Um, I just wasn't ready to hear it. And, uh, you know, a funny story, my sweet mama, you know, I wish there was like a, I'm sure there is great reading about how to understand addiction, but she, um, she called me when I was in treatment and she said, you know, I read an article the other day that said the average addict goes to treatment six times before they get clean. And this is your fifth treatment center. And you've always been above average. (laughs) And I was like, well, mama, that's real sweet. But I don't know if it works like that, but I'm sure going to try real hard. (laughs) And uh, so anyway, so I finished primary and secondary. And, you know, the scariest thing, this was the first time I was ever actually scared to leave treatment. And so my mom comes to pick me up and I leave treatment. They have given me strict instructions. Like I need to go to meetings and get a sponsor and do all the things. And so that's what I did. So then I found my identity in being a person in recovery, a person in early recovery. And so I started going to 12-step meetings and they did such, God used the 12-step program as a tool to save my life, to help me learn how to live life without drinking and using drugs, which was something I never thought was possible. Here I am, 18 years old. I dropped out of high school in 10th grade. I got my GED, and um, I'm working at Mazio's Pizza that I got in in Byram. Um, It was the job I got in secondary. And so I'm from Brandon, by the way. So I grew up in Brandon, went to high school out there at Northwest. Go Cougars. Um, If any of my high school teachers hear this, I I lived. I'm alive. Um, (laughs) Surprise! Um, so, (laughs) so I was working at Mazio's and this was the first job. Like I am going to keep this job until I find another job. Like I'm not just going to work for a week and leave 
and come back for my paycheck. Like, what up? I'm here for my check. Um, so I worked at Mazio's, uh, pizza. I was going to a meeting every day. Like the first meeting I went to, those people were like, you know, I'm so glad you're here. And Lord knows it had been a long time since I had heard somebody say they were glad I was somewhere. And, uh, so those people just loved me. They loved me when I didn't know how to love myself. And I still had a lot of misconceptions about who God was at this time. I was very confused. Um, I know I, the only thing I knew about God is, is what I heard from other people, you know, and I know that using the name of Jesus is not very socially acceptable. And so I kind of was, you know, veered off of that path for a while. And I thought, you know, well, these people in this 12 step fellowship, they love me. Like, I'm just going to do this thing. Um, you know, and, and looking back now is the Lord was so patient with me. Um, he was so patient with me. You know, when I thought drugs and alcohol were just my problem, well, you know, I'm not using anymore. I'm clean, but I'm still left with this, uh, broken, sinful mess, you know, and, um, I had so much shame and guilt for the things that I had done. And, and I carried that. I was in, you know, I was clean and in, a 12 step fellowship for five years before I finally submitted my life to Christ. And, um, those five years were filled with thinking I had to prove my worth again. Um, so I went back to school and I thought I had to get college degrees to be worthy. I thought, um, you know, I had to gain social status through a big, you know, employment and a title and how much money I made. Like I thought those things were important. It's like the Lord let me have that. The Lord let me have that. I mean, I was 26 years old and I was a director at a 450 bed hospital. I don't even know how I got that job, but I was very underqualified and the Lord let me have it and, um, to let me be there. And, you know, it it was still not, it it was not, there was still the void. I met, I had three years clean and my husband had eight years clean. My husband's in recovery too. And we met and started hanging out and he loved some Jesus. And that was probably the thing that attracted me to him the most was his love for the Lord. And I feared the Lord. I believed in the Lord. I did not have a relationship with the Lord because again, I just didn't really understand how. Um, I was all about some service work. I was all about helping people. Like I thought that's what you had to do just to be a good person, right? If I'm good, I can get into heaven, you know? And I just did not understand. So we got married. We got married. And when I tell you our first two years of marriage were incredibly difficult, um, they were so hard because I was looking to him to meet my needs and he will fail every time. He will fail every time because he is not God. Uh, and so that's really when the Lord began to tell me, you know, it's time. It's, uh, you know, I, I just can remember it was not an audible thing, but it was almost like an internal. The first time that I ever heard the Lord, you know, that I knew it was God was when I was in my very first treatment center and I was 15 years old. And we were all laying out in the group room and we were doing this guided meditation. I'm like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever, but we were supposed to lay down and close our eyes and picture ourselves walking down a path. And I was like, okay, I will, whatever, this is crazy. Um, so I'm laying on this floor and, you know, it's like, if you could ask God any one question, 
you know, what would it be? And I said, okay, God, uh, if you're real, you know, and you're looking out for me and, you know, if, if you really are God and real, like, why is this my life? Why am I not in 10th grade like everybody else? Why is this, you know, how did I get here? And I mean, it was just as clear as day. It was just the most gentle voice that said, Jessica, I give everybody a choice and you keep making the wrong choice. And I was popped up out of that meditation and I thought, you know, you don't expect anything to answer. Um, (laughs) And so, you know, that was my first thing was like, okay. And then my second thing was like, well, dang it, this is my fault. You know, it's not my mama's fault. It's not the police officer's fault. It's not anybody's fault, but it was my choices, you know, my choices that I was making that got me to where I was. And now I wish I could say I got clean after that, but I did not. I just took more responsibility for my actions. I quit blaming people for my bad choices, but I was still making bad choices. Um, so fast forward to the Lord kind of nudging my spirit and saying, you know, cause there was three things that I specifically prayed for. Like I believed God, you know, I believed he could answer prayers. Um, and so I just, I prayed, uh, for a son. I prayed for my husband and I to get married, uh, which I pray, well, I prayed for us to get married first. <laughs> um, cause I was trying to do things in order today. So I prayed for my husband and I to get married, for us to have a place to live. And then shortly after, I'm like, I would love, I, I would love to be, you know, to be a mom. And once he answered those prayers, I just felt like he was saying, you know, that I've, I gave you what you prayed for. And now the only thing I want from you is for you to have a relationship with me. And so this went on for months. I just, felt that, you know, that I've, I want you to have a relationship with me. And so anytime I just, I felt that being spoken into my spirit, I would just acknowledge it. I would say, you know, God, I hear you, but I don't know what that looks like. And I don't know what to do. If you, if you will help me to be willing to do that and show me what that looks like. And when I tell you that went on for like seven months. So God is so patient, you know, so I, my husband bought me a Bible I think our first year of marriage, he was probably like, please God, read that. (laughs) Um, And so I just kept it beside my bed. And so I just started just picking it up and reading. And, um, you know, I'd put it back down, not really understanding what I was reading. Um, And we started going to church a little bit. And we started going to a huge church because in my mind, I thought I could hide in this church. Like, no, I will not stick out in this church. There's so many people I can sit in that upper middle section and nobody will ever notice me. I'm good because I was terrified. I had so much shame and guilt. I was terrified to start going to church that I just knew that if these sweet little church people found out who I was and the things that I had done, that they would probably ask me to leave. So I started going to church a little bit. Um, and that was lies of the enemy, by the way. One night I picked up my Bible. I read in Matthew and I wrote it down because it was just, it was the verse that changed everything for me. It was Matthew 7, 20, uh, 7, 21 through 23. And it was in red letters. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And I closed my Bible. I looked at my husband, and I said, if the Lord comes back tomorrow, he's not going to know who I am, you know? 
And so again, I just was like, God, please show me what to do. Like, how do I do it? And, um, and I had already sworn to myself, like sitting in that upper middle section, I will never walk down in front of all those people. No, no, nay, nay, shenay, nay, ain't gonna happen. <laughs> One Sunday, I was sitting in the upper middle section and, um, that song came on at the cross where your love ran red and my sin washed white. And it just, I just got this feeling in my legs and I looked at my husband and I said, I have to go down there. And he looked at me like I was crazy. He was like, what? I'm like, I have to go down there. And it was like, you know, I walked all the way down from that upper upper middle section and it was just like, there was nobody else in that room, but me and that lady I was making eye contact with up front. (laughs) I didn't care about nobody else. I just knew I was supposed to walk down there and go and talk to that lady. And so I just remember I whispered in her ear and I said, you know, I think the Lord is calling me into relationship with him, but I don't know what to do. And um, so she uh, she called me back into the back room. <clears throat> uh, she brought me back to a back room and she prayed with me and she said, you know, the church is having a connect event tonight. She said, why don't you come back tonight and get in a small group and that's where you can start. And I said, okay. And so I told my husband and we came back to church that night and um you know, we actually had two different couples fighting over us. So we felt super important, you know, that wanted us in their small group. And, um, you know, and, and again, I just can't explain the uncomfortableness that I felt during this time. It was so uncomfortable to sit in a room full of people I did not know, people that had sin, but their sin didn't look like mine. You know, that I just thought my sin was worse. That those people did nothing but show me love and show me acceptance, uh, showed me the love of Christ. They were honest about their sin and their struggles that they had gone through. And, um, you know, again, and I just felt the Lord telling me to lean into the uncomfortableness that I'm, I'm with you and it's okay. They answered all my crazy questions, you know, that I'm sure they probably learned in Bible school when they were eight. But it was just very humbling. But I wanted to know who God was. Like I was tired of um, other people telling me who God was and what he wasn't. You know, I wanted to know for myself. And y'all, I just sought him just a little bit, like just a little bit. And he revealed himself to me in every way. I can remember the first time that I truly felt loved by God. And it was, I was just, and it was so unexpected. I was driving in my car and that song came on. Um, I know David Crowder sings it, you know, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. He's jealous for us. And I just started to cry like, oh my gosh, I get it now. Like I get your love for me now. I understand. I just, it was great. I mean, it was overwhelming. I got to get baptized in 2014. You know, that is where the, it's almost like that was just the beginning of my journey. You know, the beginning of my journey in Christ. It has, it has been crazy. So he doesn't reveal too many things to me at once. Like, it's almost like he's been working on me a little at a time. And like I said, he's so patient. But whenever I started focusing on my relationship with Christ, my marriage got better. Um, my relationships with other people got better. When I found my identity in Christ, I found forgiveness. I found love. I found acceptance. You know, I just knew that I could let all those things go that I had done, you know, that those were bought for me 
on the cross and that I didn't have to live in that shame anymore of the things that I had done. It has not been all butterflies and rainbows because I think that's another misconception that I had too. Like, I'm just going to live for Jesus and have a life of Jesus and it's going to be great and wonderful and happy all the days of my life. Amen. Hallelujah. But my struggles look different today. And now it's like, you know, I think of, I'm like, feel like I'm a boxer in the corner and I'm like, I'm like, let's go. I'm ready. Like, I know that struggles are going to come. Um, and so I just, you know, I pray for God all the time to strengthen my armor, you know, strengthen my armor, help me to withstand the enemy. And, you know, just like I started, you know, in that very last treatment center, when my ears started to open up and I started to hear things for the first time, like that's how my relationship with, with Christ was. Like I started here. I mean, how many times has your preacher told you to read the Bible? And, you know, that didn't come until several years later. I mean, I, it would probably like five or six years after I had gotten baptized where it's like, God, I think I'm ready to re- read your word now, you know, and just started reading God's word and praying like, God, help me to be willing to read your word. Help me to be willing, you know, help me to hunger and thirst for your word and like just going through the Bible, you know, something that was, you know, pretty significant after coming to Christ and being in that sweet small group and living in Brandon, you know, and that's where I got clean. That's where my recovery community was. That's where, you know, our, that's where our life was. And some, so something that kind of a struggle that happened was, uh, picking up and uh, not really a struggle, but it was just an opportunity to pick up and move our family to Oxford. And God always shows up in ways that are so unexpected. You know, we thought it was going to be this one way and it, ended up being a totally different way, something that we just couldn't even expected. And it was, it was great. God, God did it way better than we could. So when we moved here, we moved to Pontotoc first. And it was really hard because again, my identity was that big job I had where I just felt super important, you know, that false pride and that was all away now. And so I moved to Pont. We left our sweet little house and moved into this house that somebody was letting us stay in, which was very super nice. You know, we didn't have to pay anything. We were allowed to live there for free. But like, I remember walking into this house after we, we had just moved in first day and I go to the bathroom and I'm like, man, I just want to take a bath. And so I flipped on the bath. And there was no downspout. Like there was just a rusty pipe sticking out of the wall. And like, if you've never seen a bathtub without a thing, it just shoots straight out of the bathtub. <laughs> and so I just remember sitting on the toilet and like crying and just like, what have we done? And so I was, a, I was going to be a stay at home mom. That's what I was going to do. And I'm pretty sure I had some postpartum at that time. I'm telling y'all, I got like a million different stories I could tell y'all, but I was just struggling with my identity so bad. Um, you know, and I just, I was starting to contemplate like, well, maybe I just can start drinking again. You know, maybe that's it. And I told my husband like, no, that's not it. I need to go to a meeting and I remember he let me go to a meeting that night. And so I found a meeting in the basement of a church in, in Pontotoc, Mississippi. And, um, you know, I can just remember this sweet lady. She started to share. She's like, my name's so-and-so and I'm an addict. And she's like, I've been struggling. And I, so my ears perked up. I'm like, oh, me too, girl. Like, just tell me, <laughs> tell me. And she was like, my neighbor shot my pet pig 
And I know he shot him. He told me if he saw my pig in my yard again, that he was going to shoot him. And I just remember thinking, like, where am I right now? (laughs) And so I called my husband on the way home, and I said... I said, well, the good news is, is I'm not thinking about drinking anymore. (laughs) But I'm going to stop by the Piggly Wiggly and I'm going to get us some bacon. I'll be home in a minute. But no, I just had, I had to find my community again. I had to, it is, takes a whole lot of work to establish a community and to rebuild relationships, but it is so necessary. Like it is necessary for my survival. It is necessary for my mental health. It is necessary to, to, to build community with people. My identity in Christ today is I feel a sense of urgency You know, I am no longer ashamed to or embarrassed or sugarcoat who my God is. Um, And that's something that, you know, circa 2019 that the Lord just grew me even more to speak out and um, and to really just kind of start talking about Jesus. And I mean, I talk about Jesus anywhere in my line somewhere. I just will say, hey, where do you go to church? I started talking to the Lafayette County Sheriff and asked him if it would be okay if we started coming in and doing some jail ministry with the women. And it was a very long process. And I got introduced to uh, a lady named Kathy, who has the net ministry in Brandon and Jackson area. And we got connected and um, it was really cool watching the Lord work. Like in the beginning, you could tell that they were just like very unsure if they wanted to allow us in the jail. Like, I don't think, you know, they really wanted to worry with us. And then it was almost like just at lots of prayer, complete heart chains. Like y'all have full access to the jail Monday through Friday. Um, and so there's, there's a team of very dedicated women that go into the jail here and mentor one-on-one with the inmates. So that's, that's really, that's cool. That's been great. And I don't know. I just, I work from home. I work for a large healthcare organization and I work from home, which is great with all the kiddos that I have. Um, and the Lord is so, he knows that I have such a ministering heart and, um, he just will send me people to, to talk to and to pray with and, um, to love on. And, um, everything that I've gone through, I feel like he has equipped me with the capacity to love on the most broken people. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. You know, one of my favorite things about storytellers is just listening to women be so vulnerable and raw and real. And that is exactly what Jessica was. When I first heard her story, I laughed. I teared up, you know, at moments. And I totally related in other areas as well. And that's really what storytellers is all about. And most importantly, just reminding us of the truth of who we are. The enemy so badly wants us to find our identity in the things of this world and label ourselves other things Mm -hmm. besides a daughter of the king of kings Mm -hmm. and her story just really reiterated you know every one of you listening you are a daughter or a son of the king of kings and that's where god wants you to live from he wants to empower you from that position and not from what you've done in the past what you're doing right now what you might be doing in the future he sees you as a daughter of the king. And so uh, that was one of my favorite parts of her story. 
you just said that storytellers, you know, that this it's just the epitome of it. The second thing that just ties in so perfectly is her journey from religion to relationship. Yes. She lived in religion. She just thought it was about being good That's and right. serving. Yeah. And that was the Christian walk. And she was finding no hope. Yeah. She was finding no help. And she was trying so hard. Yes. And I just appreciated so much her really walking us through that, that mm-hmm. she even started going to church. She became a believer. She still didn't know how to read her Bible. She didn't really know what she was doing. She was trying until God met her and she was like, oh, Oh, mm -hmm. I don't have to do anything. I just get to sit here in your presence and be in relationship with you, Lord. I don't have to do anything. And and the Lord was so patient. She said again and again, God was just so patient with me. He was patient with me as I began to read his word. And clearly he put a desire in her heart to know his word. Like once she really started walking in relationship with him and how precious of the Lord to use a gentle voice with her when she was in the meditation exercise that she truly did feel him speak to her. And so it's it's just like she, he was saying, okay, Jessica, move a little closer. Yeah. I'm here. Come on, Jessica, I'm here. And, and you know, it's funny, just when, when she was talking about that, it reminded me a lot of Sarah from the Old Testament of, um, when, when, you know, God has promised Sarah yeah. and Abraham a child and Sarah's just rolling her eyes like, all right, whatever. <laughs> and that's kind of the attitude that Jessica had, but yet God still came through just like he did for Sarah. He came through for her, for her. And it just, he's the same yesterday, today and forever. I mean, he is the same God in the Old Testament that answers our mm. prayers in the new. And and in our lives as well. And as she sat in her small group, as she was starting to build community, it really struck me when she said, you know, I was, I was, she didn't use the word intimidated, but it struck her because she said their sin didn't look like mine. Yeah. And, you know, as a Bible believing church going <laughs> Baptist right here, I mean, you know, that's somehow, sometimes how we judge others that their sin is not ours. And that was so convicting because sin is sin in the eyes of the Lord. And I just love that the Lord has has planted in Jessica the desire to mentor and to bridge the gap like yes. she talked about. Just being able to serve in prisons, mm-hmm. we know just from hearing previous stories what a miracle that is in and of itself for prison doors to open you know, to outsiders. And and she and I even talked about the need for churches to have a more active role in helping active addicts Mm -hmm. get into recovery. Mm -hmm. Um, She didn't, and she ended up not sharing that in her story, but just the need for churches to step up and say, let us help you. Mm -hmm. This is not, as we know from addiction stories, you listeners, you all know that this is a major problem that is the church is not immune to. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, we really hope that Jessica's story spoke to you as much as it spoke to us. You know, she mentioned a few songs in her story that God really used to impact her. And so we're going to link those in the show notes below if you want to go listen to those songs. I don't know that we can begin to thank you enough for listening. Yes. It has been a record season, season six, more listeners than ever. And that's because you share our stories. You find hope. And you continue to share. And we just, we appreciate it. We want you to know how much we value that and that it does not go unnoticed. Mm -hmm. And so thank you, listeners. You have all summer to maybe catch up on some stories you haven't heard. (laughs) You can listen to new bonus stories on Patreon and any other new content. And then we will be back 
after our summer break, after rest, we will be back on August 16th, where we're going to just recap what God has done. We're going to be talking about season seven, where God is taking us, do a little reflection, a little looking forward, and then we will launch season seven. Hard to believe season seven on September 6th. So mark your calendars. We would appreciate you praying for us this summer. As we pray and plan for the future, would you pray? Would you join us in saying, God, what's next? What do what do women need to hear? What stories um, where, where you will find hope? And so thank you so much for being so faithful. Absolutely. And we will talk to you in the late summer, early fall. Bye. Bye. Bye.